Alright guys, welcome to episode number two of the Five Takes podcast. Joining me tonight are the hosts with the most. I have Leo here with me. Next is Jonathan, followed by Goose, and last but not least, Adam the Atom Bomb. The first topic of the night, we are going to talk about the most one of the most recent events in the NFL, which is the NFL Draft. Uh, we, we're going to talk about who were the winners and you know who were the losers of the draft. All right. So first off, we're going to go ahead and start with Leo. Hello, Jordan. Uh, thank you for hosting tonight. Um, so the biggest winner of the NFL Draft this year, I think, were the Jacksonville Jaguars. The reason being that they were able to draft two top five picks with their first and second round picks, um, Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack. Um, also, they went uh, this year uh, defensive heavy uh, with a cornerback, a linebacker, a defensive line, defensive line, quarterback, and defensive line. So the Jaguars like already had a strong, uh, pretty strong offense uh, last year, much improved. They just need to continue working as one and improved quarterback play. But they're even stronger at defense, and now they're going to be a dominating defense with the additions of Ramsey, Jack, and their highly tutored third round, um, no, third overall pick last year in Dante Fowler, who got injured in the training camp. So I think they're really smart in going all defense in this draft and strengthening their biggest strength. Um, so I think they're gonna, we're going to see a lot more wins from the Jaguars this year. And then the biggest losers of the draft were the Panthers. Um, they drafted three unknown quarterback, uh, cornerbacks in order to replace Josh Norman, and they failed to address the offensive line at all. Um, if you watched the Panthers last year, um, you know that Newton had to be an escape artist and had to make plays on his own most of the time. And whenever he starts taking too many hits, his mood plummets and he exposes the whiny cam that we've seen um, so many times where he just gets down on the whole team and uh, the same guy that we saw in the post-Super Bowl press conference. So, And that's not a good look for him. So I think the, the Jacksonville Jaguars' biggest winners and the Carolina Panthers' biggest losers. All right, now next we're, uh, we're going to get uh, Adam's thoughts on the on the draft. You know, Adam, who do you think were the big winners and the big losers? I think the Titans came out on top this year simply because they were able to think about their biggest assets, which is their quarterback, Mariota, and the newly acquired DeMarco Murray, and then figure out a way to protect them. So with the first pick, they were able to trade down, acquire a bunch of extra picks for this and next year's draft, and still draft a solid left tackle in Jack Cogman. On top of that, they were able to beef up their defense by adding an incredible number of players to the defensive line and to their secondary. And then to protect and limit the carries of DeMarco Murray, they were able to draft Derrick Henry, a solid running back, who had a lot of carries in college last year, but I think that he'll be fine because he's not going to be leading the entire running charge. So very solid pickup there to protect both DeMarco Murray and Marcus Mariota. I think the Titans are set on top of that. They have an incredible number of draft picks for next year's draft as well. The losers, I think, were the Cowboys. They took a big risk by drafting Ezekiel Elliott when they already have Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden. And on top of that, with the 216th pick, they still drafted a fourth running back in Darius Jackson. So questionable move there. They took a risk by moving up to draft the injured Jalen Smith. And they totally butchered their approach to trying to get Paxton Lynch. Jerry Jones straight up said that he was upset that he couldn't get him. And so he pretty much settled for Dak Prescott. So multiple fails on different fronts for that team. Quickly, yeah. I want to get your thoughts on the the Dolphins. You guys didn't mention them as any big winners or big losers, but uh, I think they're getting Tunsil uh, at the pick that they got him. I think that's definitely a huge plus for them. Obviously, he had a little bit of dip in the in the draft, but overall, I think I mean for the pick that they got him with, I think that you know that's pretty solid for them. 
I would agree, but remember that they spent a lot of money on getting Brandon Elbridge's recently, and on top of that, I don't think that necessarily beefing up their offensive line was the biggest problem for the Dolphins. They should have invested heavier on a running back after failing to acquire Anderson and Chris Johnson in the offseason. They need someone in the backfield that they can rely on, and right now they have Jay Ayagi, and then someone they were able to get in the third round that I'm not sure is going to be the leading bell cow for this team. All right. Let's move on to the uh, to the next topic of the night. So, uh, as we all know, or actually I don't know if most of you know, but we're going to have a title, you know, the World Middleweight Title Championship on May 7th against, uh, it'll be Canelo Alvarez against Amir Khan. Uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on who you guys think is going to come out on top. Let's go ahead and start with this one with Goose. Hey, guys. So, I actually think um, Canelo's an overwhelming uh, favorite for this for this fight, um, it's a classic case of brains versus brawn. Khan actually had to step up uh, two weight divisions to face Canelo. Uh, the reality is, Canelo is a much stronger boxer. Uh, claim Khan claims to be, you know, a, a speedster on, on himself, but gaining so much weight for this fight, I, I think he's gonna lose a lot of the of his speed, and I don't think. So these guys are pretty much about the same size, 5'9", similar reach. But I, I think uh, Canelo's a, a much better and more experienced boxer, and I, I would def and I see him uh, coming up on top to, uh, on May the 7th. All right, let's see. Leo, what are your thoughts on this fight? Um, man, I'm very excited for this fight. Um, I like Canelo in this one. One of the reasons that uh, Goose mentioned already was that Amir had to come up in uh, weight classes. Um, just to fight Canelo, um, and again, one of the biggest strengths that Amir has, or Khan has, is um, that he has speed. Um, I don't think the speed will come uh, with all that weight that he had to gain. Obviously, it's all muscle, most likely, but um, he just won't be as fast, and um, it's kind of scary for Canelo because uh, Mayweather was also one of the uh, speedsters, but the difference here, I think, is um, Khan isn't as um, famous, so... Uh, I don't think Canelo has all that pressure to um, to take down Amir as he had with Mayweather. That was made the May Mayweather fight was really like the biggest fight of Canelo's career so far, and he he just I, I, he seems so nervous. But watching him box um, throughout most of his career, I I I just see him um, taking down Khan um, pretty pretty easily. I would say. Um, also, uh, Khan has been labeled as a soft jawed boxer. So it would just take one, one, one of those classic Canelo punches to knock him out. Uh, so I think if Canelo keeps his cool, he just takes the punches that are there and doesn't chase them around like he did with uh, Mayweather. I think he'll have an easy knockout uh, victory in this one. All right, what round do you predict? Oh man, it's really, really tough. I, I can't say, um, but I'll just say knockout. I'll, I'll, I'll take him in the sixth. Six. All right. <clears throat> All right. So uh, for now, we're 2-0. Uh, Canelo be the favorite. Let's see what John has to say about this. Hey, guys. Big John right here. Ready to talk sports with you guys. Well, I disagree with Leo and Gustavo. Um, well, we all know Canelo is considered the number one best pound-for-pound -pound boxer in the world. Now that Mayweather is supposed to be retired. But I think Saturday night, Canelo is going to pull a big upset. As we can recall, Canelo has struggled a lot with technical fighters. Mayweather shut, shut him down and gave him his first loss of his career. Against Lara, you can see that Canelo struggled as well, and a lot of people think Lara took the fight. 
To a lot of people, Kazan is considered the faster boxer in the sport. And now that he put up weight, he will be even stronger as well. I think as long as Khan keeps on moving, throws a lot of combination punches, and does not stand still for any length of, of time, he will win the fight by split decision. All right. Hey, John, one question for you. You don't think that uh, it'll affect Khan in a negative manner, seeing the fact that he had to go up two weight classes? Obviously, some, some fighters, when they do that, uh, they're not... You know, they don't really count on how much, you know, the fatigue that will encounter with the extra weight. You think that'll uh, be something negative towards Khan in the fight, or you think that'll be uh, that'll help him in the long run? Not at all. Actually, uh, <clears throat> with the speed that Khan has, I, I don't think it's going to be a big difference. I think he's still going to be faster than Canelo, so I don't see it affecting him as much. All right, and last but not least, let's go with Adam. Adam, who do you have on this fight? I'm going to go with the majority and agree that Canelo's going to take it for a number of reasons. Primarily because I think if you look at both stamina and defense, both go in favor of Canelo. He's a bigger guy. He can last longer. And if you look at just the power, he has improved with his body punches so much. We saw that against Cotto. And I think the biggest thing that's going to make a difference here is their experiences and fights in the past few years. If you look at Canelo, Canelo's been taking on anybody that he can and the hardest competition and going all out. While Khan has been very picky about the fights that he chooses because he was hoping to attract Mayweather for a premier fight, so he didn't want to take on any risky fights that may, that he might lose and would lead him to lose out on that match. So I think in that process, Khan has gotten a little cocky and he's going to come out as he usually does, and the guy only moves forward. And if you do that against Canelo, you're risking one big shot and a knockout punch. And I think that's how this is going to end up. And it was going to knock out Khan probably before the 10th round. All right, so we have two knockouts. Uh, Goose, knockout or fight will go the distance? I think Canelo's going to knock him out on the 8th. Okay, so we have 6, 8, and 10. John, knockout or the distance? No, there's no way that Khan is going to knock out Canelo. I think he's going to go until the 12th round. Um, I think by... Canelo being so famous, I, I think Khan is going to outbox him with his speed. And, and like I said, if he keeps running around uh, the ring, always keeps on moving, throwing combination punches, I think he should be able to take it. But with Canelo being pretty much a more famous boxer, uh, he's going to end up taking it. Khan is going to end up taking it, but by split decision. All right, all right. Uh, we're going to stick to the fighting, and uh, we're going to move over to UFC. So, uh, I don't know if a lot of you know, but the uh, UFC 200, the big you know rematch fight against uh, with Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, you know that fight has been replaced, and now we're going to be seeing John Jones against Daniel Cormier in UFC 200. Now, my question to you guys is: You think is this a good replacement for that uh, hyped-up match that we were all expecting to see, or you think it's just a bit of a dud and the UFC just picked two fighters to to go in the ring and try to save some face? Uh, let's go ahead and start with John. Uh, well, first of all, guys, I think Donna White did the correct thing by pulling Conor McGregor from the UFC 200 event. He failed to fulfill the media obligations, and in my opinion, is a little disrespectful to all the fans. The reason they do that is to hype up the fight, the fight and make it more exciting for everyone. And I think the perfect replacement had to be John, John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. John Jones is ranked the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the UFC, and Daniel Cormier only, only lost in his career 
came from the first fight these two had last year. And John Jones will be looking to get his title back after it being taken away by UFC because of his arrest after the hit-and-run charges. So, yeah, I think it was a good replacement. All right, let's see. Well, um, my two cents on this is that, um, going back to McGregor, uh, I understand Dana why you tried to pull Conor McGregor, but at the same time, I think Conor made a good point that, um, no, he, obviously he, being the hyped-up fighter that he is, he had a lot more media coverage than Nate Diaz, right? Obviously, for in the nature of the beast, the, the famous guy gets all the attention. So he was claiming that, obviously, he was getting to train less because of the more you know, media coverage that he has to do, whereas Nate Diaz, being not so famous, you know, he could, instead of being out you know, on a TV show, he could be back home training. So that was his debate. But, I mean, I agree with John. Uh, Dana did the good thing. Pulling, pulling McGregor and the DS fight out of USC 200, replacing it with John Jones and Daniel Cormier. But uh, let's go ahead and get Adam's thought on this. Yeah, Jordan, I agree with you and John that it was a it was a right move. But at the same time, I think this brings up a bigger issue that has been talked about now for years with regards to the salaries and the money that goes for each of these UFC fighters who are putting their bodies on the line every time that they step into that octagon, and compared to Boxers, they may jump change, and I would argue that they probably risk their lives a little more than boxers. But regarding the particular event, UFC 200, I think it was a brilliant move to have the Jones-Cormier fight, because if you remember, at UFC 182 in January of 2015, Jones won, he beat Cormier, and then he was stripped of the title after his hit-and-run incident. Um, and then Cormier went on to win the vacated belt, but he never really got a chance to legitimize his championship ring because he never actually beat the guy. So it's a perfect, perfect setup, perfect storyline for leading up to the biggest UFC event in history. Looking at the pictures, I honestly have Jones uh, up against Cormier. Uh, just, just by looking at the pictures, Jones, that guy looks ripped. Cormier looks a bit of the, on the heavy side. So, I mean, I don't know if that would be beneficial to him or not, but, you know, just my thoughts on that. All right, let's see. Next topic we want to discuss is the Tom Brady issues. So... I guess what they decided to do was actually uphold the Tom Brady suspensions for the deflate gate back in 2013, 14, I believe. So we want to get your thoughts on that. We want to know how many games do you think Tom Brady will be playing this season? Leo, let's start off with you. All right. Um, so I did a little research on this because I wasn't too sure um, what was going on exactly, um, who was appealing to who, and what the process would be to appeal again. Um, and so the decision came last Monday from the second U.S. Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals decided not um, not that Brady participated in deflating the balls or that he was guilty, but that Commissioner Roger Goodell exercised his rights to penalize Tom Brady appropriately, and he did not overstep his, his power. So what uh, Commissioner Roger Goodell did was actually perfectly legal, um, and within the rules and laws that they agreed upon with the NFLPA. Uh, so basically, the Court of Appeals decided that Goodell had the right to suspend Brady for four games, and if, if unhappy with this, Brady would have to appeal to the same court that just decided to uh, uphold Goodell's punishment, and they would have to reevaluate their decision, or the next step would be to take it to the Supreme Court. So I don't think either of these scenarios would be likely to play out. So the only way that Tom Brady would actually be able to play more than 12 games, so the, the suspension was four, four games, is if Goodell just finds it in his heart to 
um, decrease the suspension, which I don't think he would ever do based just because of all the headaches that Tom Brady and the Patriots have cost him because of deflate gate. What do you think? No, I, I agree. I mean, I think it does going to try to save as much face as possible, and I doubt that he'll cut down suspension down to two games, and I think uh, if it's up to him, he's going to keep it at four. But, uh, Goose, what are your thoughts on this? So, as Leo stated, uh, this this um, this was handed down by the U.S. Court of Appeals, and uh, it reinstated the, the suspension. And, uh, honestly, I think it's, it's about time uh, the, the Patriots... Um, finally were held accountable for all their cheating. They've developed a culture of repeated uh, cheating throughout their history. If we go back to 2007 with the Spygate uh, issue, there's there fines for $750,000 uh, to both Bill and the Patriots. Um, since 2007, four players have been caught with uh, performance enhancement drugs from the Patriots squads, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's, so I, I'm very happy that the U.S. Court of Appeals decided to, you know, give Goddell the the, the authority to enforce the, the, the rules and regulation of, of the sport, and um, it's it's about time Tom Brady and his, and his squad of cheaters are held accountable, so I'm bravo to the U.S. Courts of Appeals. And I would have to agree with that. Um, jumping in there, sorry, Jordan. Um, I don't, I'm not, you know, super bitter about the Patriots or anything, but I think cheating in the AFC Championship game should take more punishment than just four games. Like, really what they should do is stop the game and not play this, not let them play in the Super Bowl. I mean, I would take a four-game suspension in order to be a Super Bowl champions, you know, but it's a business and you can't really, you know, delay the Super Bowl. But anyways, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, but something you touched on, um, so obviously in that in the championship game they beat the Colts if I'm not mistaken, but I think it was one of the Colts player I forgot who it was. Uh, obviously it was like like linebacker or cornerback. He said that honestly he didn't think that either you know, the inflation of the ball matters. He said that they got their ass whooped, you know, straight. Oh no, like like they said I, it, they got their ass whooped and it wouldn't have mattered if ball was probably inflated. But it's intention. It's intention. Exactly. It's. It's intentional. What if it, it what if it was a closer game? I mean, little details like that could have, you know, made the difference. And I think you know this culture needs to stop. It needs to stop somewhere. And until the Patriots and Tom Brady are truly held accountable, then it's gonna you know history's gonna keep repeating itself. Yeah, right. I agree. This is, this is this is called the game of inches. And so it's I mean everything matters. And they didn't have to cheat. Like they would have killed them. Without cheating, we know that now because the next year after that, the Colts were pretty bad. So they, they didn't need to cheat, but they did, and so they should be punished. All right. Anyways. All right. Let's get Adam's thoughts on this. Adam, you think he's going to uh, serve all four games? You think it'll be reduced in half or play all 16 games? What are your thoughts on this? I think the biggest thing here that we have to consider that I think everyone is overlooking is the fact that there was never any hard evidence to convict either Tom Brady or the Patriots of any cheating. And there were allegedly discussions around tampering with the footballs or with trainers involved. But there was never any evidence. And if there was, we wouldn't be in this appeal process. And I think we were surprised by the fact that Tom Brady appealed in the first place. And it, because of that president, I don't think it would be surprising if he would want to take it, if him and the Patriots would want to take it all the way to the Supreme Court. And that's something that Roger Goodell doesn't want on his plate. He doesn't want to be the commissioner that had a Supreme Court case against the NFLPA and one of his players 
for a situation where there wasn't sufficient evidence to indict anybody. And I think that because of that, Roger Goodell is going to reach out to Tom Brady within the next few months and attempt to reach a settlement because Tom Brady doesn't want to come out as guilty and Roger Goodell doesn't want to take this any further in terms of litigation. So I think Tom Brady is going to end up playing, if healthy, 14 games. It'll probably get reduced to a two-game suspension. Also keep in mind, Roger Goodell has to keep face with the rest of the owners. If he's pursuing one of the stars of the NFL this hard, what are the owners going to feel who end up electing and supporting this commissioner? What are they going to feel with regards to their players and the overstep of his powers and boundaries that Goodell is going? So I understand the frustration. I understand that the allegations of Patriots cheating and multiple attempts can lead to wanting there to be a resolution, wanting there to wanting the Patriots to be punished. But if there isn't enough evidence to do so, then I think that we can't play this game. All right, Adam, thank you very much. Always a, always a pleasure listening to your inside thoughts. But all right, let's move on. <laughs> all right, so next question is, Cristiano Ronaldo, we all know that he's been out for, I think it was like the last three games. He missed a, ch- a Champions final, I mean a Champions game, and uh, I think one or two La Liga games. So with that being said, should Cristiano Ronaldo be rushed back from injury, seeing as Real Madrid seems to be struggling a little bit without him? Uh, let's go ahead and start with, with, with Goose. Madrid need Cristiano. It's that plain and simple. Uh, they played against uh, Madrid played against um, Sociedad this past Saturday, and truth to God, be they were a complete dud. Uh, they were saved by a miracle goal from Bale, but it it was just it's difficult to see a Real Madrid with no with no real emphasis and no energy, and it really comes to show the over reliance there is in, on Cristiano Ronaldo. And I know there's all this talk about the Euros coming up, but you know truth. Truths come forth. Forget the Euros. Madrid is the ones paying Cristiano Ronaldo the big bucks. So they must demand uh, that he performs when when the when the big game, big games come. And it doesn't get much bigger than the match, Manchester City game. It doesn't get much bigger than the 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 last two. Um, it doesn't get much bigger than the last two La Liga games. So I definitely want to see Ronaldo playing every minute of the last three games of the season. Uh, you need the BBC, you know, at 100%. Um, I don't want to undermine the importance of Benzema, but what Cristiano does for Madrid, uh, he demands so much respect and and attention that you you need the the guy in the game definitely. All right, would Goose seem to believe that Cristiano Ronaldo needs to be rushed back from his injury? I want to get uh, John's thoughts on this. Should uh, Ronaldo rest one or two more games or bring him back? Well, Jordan, in my opinion, he sh- he shouldn't. I know Real Madrid has a hard match coming up against City, and they are fighting for the league as well. But they are not a one-man team. They are—they have 22 other men in their roster. All of them should be ready to step up. And like Gustavo said, let's not forget the Euro Cup is coming up this summer, and he could be risking the opportunity of representing his country. That tournament only happens once every four years. Only he knows how severe this injury is and the doctors. But if he isn't at least 90% ready, I don't think he should come back. Real Madrid needs to trust in their other players as well. But my question to you is, do you think Real Madrid can beat Manchester City in the second game without Ronaldo? Uh, Honestly, even with Cristiano Ronaldo playing, I don't think he's going to be 100%, even if he does come back. 
And the first leg ended up being 0-0. Even with Cristiano Ronaldo back, I don't see Real Madrid being able to pass uh, to the final. So we have a yes, we have a no, whether or not Cristiano should be rushed back. Leo, what are your thoughts? Oh, man, it's tough. I mean, just like Gusa and John were mentioning, there's three different tournaments in La Liga going on. So, I don't know. I was a yes, uh, rushing back, but I think you kind of have to, or he, he and his teams, I guess, have to decide which is more important, La Liga, Champions League, or the Euros. So, I don't know. I mean, they, they have to pick one and, and try to win that one and, and maybe pick the hardest one and have Ronaldo play for those games only. Because uh, it's clear from the last few games that uh, Real Madrid is just a completely different team, and they rely completely on Ronaldo, so they need him. Um, it's just a matter of what's imp more, most important to Ronaldo and what's most important to um, the teams, uh, what what league, I guess, what what tournaments. Uh, well, realistically, Portugal's not going to win the Euros, so you probably should focus on the champions then, to be honest. All right, Adam, your thoughts on the Cristiano Ronaldo issue. A team physician for Real Madrid suggested that the particular microfracture that he has is going to take typically 21 days to fix, and that anywhere within that span of 21 days, you risk further ailing the injury. So from a personal standpoint, Ronaldo should really consider actually taking the time to just sit to not risk his future. But I'm looking at it more towards the standpoint and the point of view of Real Madrid, because if you think about it, whether or not it's true that they're fielding calls to potentially sell Ronaldo, you don't want the guy that you're trying to market and sell to be sitting on the bench for the final three weeks of your tournament because La Florentina is interested, and for every minute that Ronaldo's on the bench and not producing anything of quality on the field, you're losing millions of dollars in a potential sell. So if you're Real Madrid, I think at this point you're almost not really considering the guy's health and considering your potential investment and the future equity that you can get with this player. So I would say if you're Real Madrid, get him out there. All right, so now that we have heard everybody's thoughts on this topic, we're going to go ahead and move over to basketball. The Lakers, they have a new head coach, 36-year-old Luke Walton. Was this a good move, yes or no? Let's go ahead and start with Leo on this one. Okay, so I think it's a, it's a good move, or it's not a terrible move at least. Um, I'm always concerned when an assistant head coach or an assistant coach on really successful teams are brought into a struggling organization and they're giving the head coaching position, uh, especially so young uh, for Luke Walton. I think he's 37. Um, you see that happen a lot in the NFL where they'll take a quarterback coach or an offensive coordinator of successful teams like the Patriots or the Broncos and then you give them a head coaching position on bad teams and more often than not, they, fail to, they those coaches fail to bring their new team to success or even the playoffs. But um, the only reason that I do that I am more optimistic about the signing of Luke, of Luke Walton is that the organization is already familiar with him since he was drafted by the Lakers, and he served for as a reserve player for them for so many years. Um, for them to give one of their reserve players a head coaching position, they must have really seen something special in him. And if anything, it's the best time for them to to give a younger guy like Luke Walton an opportunity as head coach. Um, could you even imagine if Kobe was still on the Lakers and Walton was the head coach? He would he would have absolutely no respect for someone who is younger than him and who used to be his bench warmer for about ten years. Jesus, man, Leo with the shots, I love it, I love it. All right, let's see, 
John, your thoughts on this head coach position change? Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree on this one. I know Luke Walton uh, has a history with the Lakers, but in my opinion, it's just one of it is just too soon for him to take over one of the biggest franchises in the NBA. The Lakers need someone with experience. I think this is a gamble for them, something they cannot afford on doing. I know last season he coached the Warriors the 43 games Steve Kerr was out due to his health, but come on, any person that has some knowledge of basketball would have a winning record with the players the Warriors have right now. But we'll just have to wait and see. All right, Adam, your thoughts. Was Luke Walton signing for the, as a head coach for the Lakers a good or bad idea? I'd have to disagree with John, just because the Lakers have tried to go with experience. Remember that they tried to hire D'Antoni, and his poor approach to defense simply didn't make the team work. Then they went with Mike Brown, and after six games, they decided that he wasn't going to work. So two championship-winning coaches with lots of experience didn't pan out in Los Angeles. They went with the young Byron Scott, and I think he served his purpose of getting Kobe through his final two years. And I think the pickup of Luke Walton is brilliant, simply because you're getting the guy that was in the Warriors locker room for the entire year, and he's soaking up a lot of information that can come down to the Lakers and help them out next year, because the Warriors are going to be dominant in the West for a while. Also keep in mind that his success is often criticized in Golden State for that run he had earlier in the season, because of the players that he had and the fact that it wasn't necessarily him doing all the work. But keep in mind that Mark Jackson, right before Steve Kerr had that position, couldn't get the job done, and he had the same exact players. Also look at our exposure in Miami before and after LeBron went there. They're still succeeding, and they're still in the playoff run right now, even after him. So it's not always necessarily the stars that make the game. I like what Leo said. I think that the fact that Luke Walton spent so much time on the bench next to Phil Jackson, absorbing all of that knowledge and all of the subtleties that come with coaching, is going to play off really nicely. And I think with the pieces that they have in place now, young players at every position, a top one or two draft pick in this upcoming draft, they're going to be set in for a really long time and going to be a top contender in the West for years to come. All right. And uh, Adam, one last question for you. Next year, Lakers, are they a 500 above or below team? Above 500, and I see them in the top four slots in the West. Really? Okay, interesting. All right. Next, we're going to move back to soccer with the Champions' first leg of the game happening earlier uh, last week. Uh, Atletico Madrid defeated Bayern Munich 1-0. So our question is, will Atletico Madrid deny Pep Guardiola's championship glory with Bayern Munich, or will he be leaving Bayern Munich not being a winner and heading over to Manchester City? John, what are your thoughts on this? Well, Jordan, I really don't see Bayern Munich eliminating Atletico Madrid. Atletico are in really good form right now. They have not allowed any goals in their last six games. They have a one-goal lead from the first leg, and for every goal they score in the in this next game, Bayern has to score two more. They also have Diego Godin back for this match. So I'm going to stick to my first week prediction and say Atletico is advancing to the Champions League final this year. All right, Tavo, what are your thoughts? Uh, do you have Bayern Munich winning or Atletico Madrid? I'm actually going to have to agree with Jonathan on this one. I, I think the the one-goal lead Atletico has is going to take them to the final. Atletico is a, a very physical team, very defense-minded, brilliant, if you ask me, and they will punish you on the break. And with Griezmann and Torres firing at all cylinders, 
I, I just don't know who who can stop him. And 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 Jonathan mentioned as well, Godin should be back, so that should be icing on the cake. I don't. I just don't see Bayern winning by two goals, and I I, I don't see um, Bayern uh, holding Atletico Madrid to no goals. So I'm definitely I'm definitely gonna go with an all Madrid final this time around. Adam, your thoughts? Madrid or Munich? I disagree. I think Pep is going to take this one because Diego Simeone was quoted as saying that he's going to come out in the second leg of the games and come out aggressive and he's not going to let up. And a criticism of soccer teams and matches that have two legs is that usually the team that wins the first one is quieter in the second one or tries to play more defensively to secure their victory. I think Simeone is going way too extreme on the opposite side. I think he's going to push hard to try to get the team to dominate the game, and that's going to open it up for Bayern Munich and Pep Guardiola's team to get a good counterattack and secure a victory and move on to the finals. And on this topic, I have to agree with Adam, honestly. Realistically, Bayern Munich, for example, in the last three games have only scored four goals. I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but you can never count them out. Uh, with the uh, Guardiola system that they have over there in Munich, just any game, man. They can just explode and start scoring, you know, three goals in ten minutes like they've done before. So, um, do they have a tough challenge with the Madrid defense and the goal deficit? Yes. Will they win? I believe they will. And uh, we're going to have a Munich-Real Madrid final. All right. All right, last soccer question. Which Manchester team will not be playing the Champions League next season? United or City? Let's go ahead and start off with Tavo. I'm sorry to stick it to Pep Guardiola this time around, but I'm going to go ahead and say that Manchester City will not be playing uh, Champions League football next season. Uh, we see the upcoming matches at, um, well, let's talk about the numbers first. So there's four, a four-point deficit um, from United and City. Uh, United have a game in hand. The last three games United play are versus West Ham, Norwich, and Bournemouth. Very winnable games. And um, City still have to play Arsenal and Swansea City. So I, I definitely see Arsenal uh, being a big problem for City, and I, I see City dropping some points in that game. It's going to be a monumental game, not only for Manchester City, but also for Arsenal, who will definitely want to keep a grip of the third place. And I, I see United with the potential and the desire to win the last three games, so that should see them overtake overtaking the fourth the fourth, the fourth Champions League spot. So I'm going to go ahead and say that Manchester United will be on the Champions League next season, and Pep Guardiola will be watching Champions League from home. All right, Dawo, thank you for your input. Adam, what are your thoughts? City or United missing the Champions League? I think United is going to be missing it because if you look at their season and their performance in this tournament, their defense was really what let them down. And they are currently targeting Mourinho as their next coach. And if that happens, that would be tragic because Mourinho's role in Chelsea was similar to what happened to Manchester United. They had poor, poor defense. And Mourinho only works well when he has high-played players on his team. So if Manchester United doesn't get that done, I don't see them succeeding in getting back to the Champions League. All right. Jonathan, your thoughts on this? I think I'm going to surprise everyone here, but I think both Manchester United Manchester teams will be in the Champions League next year. Actually, I think City is winning the Champions this year. Therefore, they will be in the next year's cup automatically. And I think United 
is finishing in fourth place in the league, winning themselves a spot in the tournament as well. City still has one game against Arsenal, which I think they are going to lose, just like uh, Gustavo said. And Manchester United, I think, will win their next three games. They are going against two teams from the lower half of the table and one from the top, which is West Ham, but they just beat him in the Emirates Cup. So my prediction is that both teams will be in next year's Champions League. Nice. I like that, John. Thinking outside the box. Love well, it. Well, I, I like to bring up Liverpool because let's not forget they, they have a big match coming up uh, this Thursday against Villarreal. And if they win the, the, the European Cup, they'll be in the Champions League as well, knocking Manchester United out of the uh, Champions League tournament. So I think that's actually a big uh, possibility after overcoming Borussia on the quarterfinals. I think... Liverpool, even with the goal deficit, are a huge favor to, to take this cup and be in the Champions League. All right. Yes, That's you are right, Gustavo. Uh, if Liverpool does beat Villarreal and win the EuroLeague cha uh, Cup, they will be in the next year's Champions Cup. But I really don't see them be beating Villarreal by two goals or more. Because if Villarreal, remember, scores just one goal, they would have to score two more than them. I, I really don't think Liverpool's going to pull it off. That, for that reason, I think United is going to be in next year's uh, champions. And I see Manchester City winning the champions this year, so I think they'll be in the next year's as, as well. Love it. Heated debate. All right, guys. Let's go ahead and move on to back to the NFL. Uh, as I think I, I'm the one that briefly touched up on this. Tunsil, he dropped significantly in the draft. Uh, the reasons for that was because prior to the draft, uh, an image was leaked of him wearing a mask, smoking uh, a bong, and that's definitely plummeted his stock in the NFL draft. And once drafted, he admitted to have taken money from his coach. So my question is, was the drop that he suffered on the draft, was that merited or not so much since he was he's a young kid and, you know, kids do dumb things? Let's go ahead and start asking Adam. I think that if any team in the top ten passed up on Tonso simply because of that picture or video, then that was a very foolish mistake because I understand the whole caution that you have to take when you look at something like what happened with the Johnny Manziel drafting him so high in the first round and then turning out to be a bust because a guy decides to party instead of play football. But for every Johnny Manziel that exists, there's two or three players that have similar off-the-field issues but are able to correct them, perform well on the field, and then sign their multi-million dollar contracts anyway and still stick around with teams. So I think that, again, if any team passed on him simply because of that, then the Dolphins are in a great position because they got a solid left tackle simply because of other teams' silliness. All right, Adam, thank you for that. But my, my question is, can we take that lightly? Um, for example, Josh Gordon, right? Uh, the guy in the last three years, he's played a total of 10 games, if that. So, I mean, drug, sure. Was it a video? Was it a dumb video? Yes. Could it happen often? Who knows? And it's, honestly, I saw a picture where the possibly going third overall to, I think it was 13th when Eddie was picked. That's a $13 million difference right there. So, was foolish on his part? Yes. Can he be doing it again? Who knows? I mean, honestly... He's he's young and he can keep doing mistakes like that. So Leo, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I'll start off by saying that if I if I was a team with a top ten pick, 
I wouldn't have picked him. Um, just because his, his, the fact that he had those photos and videos, like he didn't post them himself, he was hacked. But the fact that he had that video and photo um, do show poor judgment of him. Like he, his ultimate goal as a freshman in college was to become an NFL player. He should know to not let anyone take those videos um, or photos of him. And for teams that aren't necessarily always at the top of the draft, like the Chargers, the Cowboys, and the Ravens, um, they're not used to being in the top six, uh, top five picks of the draft every year. They couldn't take those chances, even though the Chargers and the Ravens both needed a offensive lineman. Even the Ravens, they took an offensive tackle ahead of Laramie Tunsil, someone who they said who was um, tutored to be the best player in the NFL draft. Not only the best lineman, but the best player. Um, you just can't risk it like that. I do hope that he has a great career, and this is all behind him. But there are uh, potential. There's just too many risks with him just going after the money and really not showing any commitment to the actual sport. Um, you mean, you know, like ten million dollars, whatever. Like to you and me, that's that's everything, and maybe it's everything to him. He might he might be done from from here on out. Um, just cash a paycheck and move on, and maybe smoke some weed. Just like Jamarcus Russell, I agree. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's willing to oh. come back and play for free now. <laughs> I saw that. That's awesome. <laughs> Dude, you guy must be desperate. Although I know I did see a video where the guy was buying everybody in his town like free Thanksgiving dinner. So I mean that was pretty cool of him. But he should have okay. Last topic of the night, guys. Back to basketball. Is it time to bail on the Chris Paul Blake Griffin experiments? Yes or no? Leo, let's start this off with you. No way. If you just look at the record before Chris Paul was there. Chris Paul was um, acquired in 2011. Before that, they had made it to one playoff appearance in the last 14 seasons. That's ridiculous. Well, it's not too crazy. But um, since 2011, they've made it to every single um, every single year they made it to the playoffs. And that all started because of Chris Paul and the Blake Griffin relationship. So, no, um, they're definitely missing something. Something They're missing something to get them to the championship. But breaking them apart, it's not going to help the matter. Adam, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, it's time to build on this. Because if you look around the league and you look at the teams that have, that have won championships, either you're a team like the Spurs where you have solid play at every single position. No real superstar, but you have solid play at every position. Or you have a team like the Golden State Warriors or the Miami Heat who dominated who have one or two scorers on the team to help you out. What you have in the Clippers is a great point guard and a great power forward, but neither of them is a huge scorer. Chris Paul is known more for his assists than for his scoring output. What you need there is two guys that can put the ball in the basket day in and day out. So I think it's time to bail on this. And I think if the Clippers are smart, they'll give Oklahoma City a phone call and ask them just to be real, real talk. Is Kevin Durant going to stay in Oklahoma City? And if he's not, if he's going to leave and sign with someone else, then let's get a trade going. We'll give you Blake Griffin, and you give us Kevin Durant so that you don't lose him out for nothing. That's what they should do if they're smart. They would yeah. never give away Blake Griffin. That's that's their guy. Like That's uh, the guy that they you know drafted. For but Kevin realistically, Durant, Kevin Durant's going to go to the better L.A. team, so he's going to go to the Lakers, all right? So. And why not just bring him in? Why do you have to, Well, I mean, okay, never mind. Well, why not bring a third guy, bring a scorer, bring someone who can score? Who's out there that's available to come in? 
Whoa, don't ask me the hard questions, Adam. <laughs> I didn't write this down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Silence. All right, guys, that's it for tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, guys, last words before we take off for the night? Yes, I, I want to give a shout-out to Manchester City uh, becoming uh, Premier League champions You know, today after... Tottenham's draw with Chelsea. Big shout out, uh, 5,001 odds. You know when the season started, they came they they came through for the fans and very excited for them. I'm excited about the Champions League this semifinals this week. So it should be an interesting and fun week sports wise. All right. Oh man. That, that, those 5,001 odds, that those, those odds kind of make me want to place a bet on the Raiders winning the Super Bowl this season. They must be pretty pretty similar. But anyways. No, um, I think I, that'd be the Chargers, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited this week about that Canelo fight. Um, Canelo Amir Khan fight. It's going to be a good one. Um, hopefully it's a good one and it's more um, evenly matched than we seem to think on this podcast. But we'll... We'll see who is right next week. Thank Adam, you for listening. Last thoughts? 5,001 odds that Melvin Gordon gets in the end zone this season. I'm looking forward to the seeing the Miami Heat continue on in the NBA playoffs. I think that they did an excellent job of being down in the series against Charlotte. And then Dwayne Wade is just tearing it up, taking control of his team. I see them going far. I see them making it to the Eastern Conference Finals and giving the Cleveland Cavaliers a run for their money. So excited to see them continue their playoff push. Thank you, Adam. John, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm just as excited as Leo for the Canelo against uh, Khan fight. I'm looking forward to see who wins the fight and see if finally a fight against Triple G will happen. All right, guys. That's it. Thanks for tuning in. Peace. <laughs>